Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Dean Carnassus, who, in addition to being a very accomplished ultra runner, he really helped establish ultra running through his own personal exploits and through his writings about the sport. But more than that, Dean has deeply inspired so many people through his example and, again, through his writings, and it is actually that fact that made me so eager to talk to Dean. In this conversation, Dean fills us in on his recent running project in Australia. We talk about his thoughts on longevity and repeatedly pushing oneself extremely hard, And we talk about reading and writing, and we discuss how Dean's first book, Ultra Marathon Man, works alongside his most recent book called A Runner's High. Finally, we talk about what Dean is currently passionate about outside of the realm of running, and his answer is just so great. And while I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, I still was kind of surprised, and I think it's fantastic. So check that out at the end. This conversation was a true pleasure, and now having not just read Dean's books, but having had a chance to really connect with him in this conversation, it's easy for me to see why Dean has and continues to inspire so many people. So let's go ahead and get right to it. Well, Dean, how are you today and where are you today? (laughs) Well, I am back in Marin County, just north of San Francisco, and I am very uh, jet-lagged, as we were discussing, uh, just having returned from Australia. So, first of all, I feel for you dealing with that Australia jet-lag. You're a guy that has obviously traveled around the world. How would you rate the Southern Hemisphere, like Australia slash New Zealand jet-lag versus say from some other places it doesn't get much worse i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, oh yeah that that flying east across the uh you know the the dateline just is crushing and you know i've uh, i've traveled all around the world and i mean even flying like to central asia and flying home doesn't disrupt me the way that australia trip does it's it's a brutal one that has been my experience too at this point again as a seasoned traveler Have you developed some like really effective tips or tricks with how to deal with this or do you just kind of suffer through it? Yeah. I mean, the one thing is don't look at your watch until you've synced up to the time zone you're in. (laughs) Because I kind of just threw my watch in the closet and tried to sleep. And then I got up and looked at it and thought, well, no wonder I can't sleep. It's two in the afternoon and, you know, it's it's four in the morning. So I go and have a big lunch, you know, at four in the morning and then, you know, come seven in the morning when it's it's getting toward the evening in Australia and I'm supposed to be waking up. I, you know, I can't, I can't even see straight. <laughs> yeah. So immediately sync your watch to the new time zone. Okay. That's what you've got for us. I thought you'd have some, I don't know, concoction or something to like really dial it in, but basically just throw your watch away. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I have any tricks beyond everything that we hear of all the time, like expose yourself to light, you know, um, get your circadian rhythms adjusted to the new time zone by, you know, staring at the sun <laughs> yeah. dumbfoundedly or, you know, th- that sort of thing. But 
you know, the the rule of thumb that I've seen by, you know, travel experts is that you're supposed to allow uh, one day of acclimation for every time zone uh, change you've gone through. And, you know, that's a 17 hour difference between Australia and San Francisco. So theoretically, you know, based on their guidance, it would take me 17 days to get fully adjusted. And they say for an athlete who's, you know, going to be um, performing that you should allow two days of adjustment for every time zone. So if I'm supposed to, you know, do a, a race, that should be around, you know, 34 days, over a month of acclimatization. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to hack that into, you know, a, a tenth of that time. I'd never heard that before. That's actually kind of highly depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so... But given that I'm not the one dealing with the jet lag, you are, I guess I can just for now say, you know, good luck. Good luck with that. Well, I mean, you, you and I have both suffered jet lag. And, you know, I've, I found that certainly flying um, east is more difficult than flying west. I mean, yeah. flying, once you're adapted to, say, New York City, uh, to fly to the west coast, you know, you're getting up earlier and you're going to sleep earlier. And that's a good thing. But, you know, flying from the west coast to the east coast is tougher. Well, why don't you tell us a bit about what you were doing in Australia? <laughs> this could be a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll give you the the you know the helicopter um, uh, description of what took place uh, about six months ago. Uh, a very famous Australian ultra runner and adventurer by the name of Pat Farmer contacted me and said, "Hey, Dean, I want to organize a run across Australia." And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to do this. I used to live in Australia, by the way. I was an exchange student in high school. So I spent hmm. uh, a year in Sydney. And I've been back many, many times. But Pat said, you know, let's run from Western Australia, from Perth to the easternmost point of Australia, which is Byron Bay in New South Wales. And I thought, wow, I've, you know, I've run from LA to New York City. This would be a, 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 you know, a, a great way to run across another continent. So he said, but I want to do it as a relay. I'm going to do it as a four-person team, uh, an American team and a and a Australian team, two men and two women. And I thought, well, that's an interesting format. You know, let's let's try something different. Uh, yeah, you know, I haven't done a lot of team racing, and I thought that'd be you know unique. So I started to put together a team, got a team together of of two women and two American men, myself and, a, and another um, gentleman, Sean Riggs, and we got a call from Pat who said, we need to have a conversation. And, you know, when someone says to you, we need to have a conversation, it's usually never, not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, we had a little bit of a hiccup. Um, you know, COVID has kind of gotten worse in, in Australia, so we can't run all the way across the continent, but we can run across the state of New South Wales. So we'll start in a place called Broken Hill and still finish at the easternmost point in, in Australia, Byron Bay. And we'll call it a thousand miles to light because it is a thousand mile run. And, you know, symbolically, we're kind of crawling out of the COVID darkness toward the light. And um, on a very literal um, basis, we're finishing at the Byron Bay Lighthouse. We'll touch the Byron Bay Lighthouse uh, to, to signify we finished this thousand mile run. And so I thought that's 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 really nice. You know, that, that'll work as well. And ironically, I spent my 16th birthday surfing in Byron Bay. Byron Bay is a really good surfing spot. Hmm. You know, I, I just thought it was meant to be because uh, I didn't tell anyone this, but the event was due to conclude the 10 days of running a thousand miles uh, on my birthday. So I thought so many years later, I'll return to Byron Bay and go surfing, you know, on my birthday and it'll be the end of this thousand mile run. So we fly to Australia and we have to quarantine for two weeks. 
Well, as we're in quarantine, the situation in Australia just deteriorates hmm. incredibly. And, and they're locking down entire districts of Sydney. And all of a sudden, they're locking down the entire state of New South Wales. And I mean a hard lockdown. Like you're not allowed to travel with, you know, beyond five kilometers of your house, period. And and so we're, you know, we Americans are in quarantine. And we get another call from Pat saying we need to talk again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> What's hmm. going on? And he said, well, we, we can no longer run across New South Wales. We're going to run entirely within the Singleton Army Base. So we're going to run uh, 10 routes of 100 miles each within the Singleton Army Base. And we're thinking, oh, God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but it ended up the Singleton Army Base was a very big open area in a place called the Hunter Valley of Australia, which is like the Napa Valley of Australia. It's a wine country. And it was really beautiful. And kangaroos everywhere. Uh, and anyway, we conducted um, this thousand mile run w- entirely within the Singleton Army Base, um, 10 different routes. And uh, we were in a, in a bubble uh, supported by the Australian Army. So all of the crew was the Australian Army. And we got it done. And that, that was, in a nutshell, what happened to me the past month. Because I had a quarantine for two weeks and we ran for 10 days. And just getting home now. <laughs> yeah. I th- <laughs> Where do you I, even start with that one, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that how that actually ended up going down somehow makes it seem more consistent with a number of other events in your life. Like if you're going to be running across the country, it seems like there ought to be military and like, I don't know, machine guns around, something like that. You know, like I you you seem to attract military personnel when you go do stuff. Yeah. I mean, there, there was mortar fire in the background <laughs> and it was, cra- it was craziness. I mean, it was absolutely insane what we did. And um, yeah, the, and the military guys loved it. I mean, they just ate it up, you know, we, and we actually got a lot of them running with us. So they, huh. you know, these guys are tough as anything, but they're not necessarily endurance runners. And, you know, as well as I know, is, you know, someone who's really tough, you get them to run a marathon and it crushes them. I yeah. mean, it's a very humbling experience. There's there's something about that re- repetitive pounding, that repetitive microtrauma that just breaks you down. And we really enjoyed watching <laughs> these tough ass, you know, army guys crumbling, trying to keep up with us running. <laughs> Yeah, watching the tough guys get humbled. Um, this is this is again a theme that I think you you've seen this multiple times across your running career, and this is just as somebody who's read your books. Um, but that this is a recurring theme, I think. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I don't know why this topic's coming up, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I was on a show one time uh, live with uh, Kelly and Michael, which was um, Kelly Ripa and yeah. Michael Strahan. And Michael and I kind of, we kind of, you know, he, he's very jocular and we were, you know, rapping out and I've met him a few times and I was there at that particular uh, time on their show because I uh, was preparing to run the New York City Marathon and I think it was my 15th time running the marathon and, you know, I challenged Michael on the show. I said, Michael, you know, come run the marathon with me and he said, let me think about it. One of my buddies uh, who's a linebacker is running it this year and let me see how he does and then I'll get back to you. Huh. And <laughs> he got back to me and he said, you know, I'll, I'll use a superlative here. There's no fucking way I'm running a marathon. <laughs> He's like, my buddy said 
he was it completely crushed him. He said it took him six hours and nothing has ever hurt him so bad. <clears throat> and and this is an NFL linebacker. Yeah. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different sort of torture. It is a different sort of torture, which maybe leads me to my next question. I've had this interesting recent experience where I've just read two of your books basically back to back. So I finished A Runner's High, which is your most recent book, and then sort of immediately went back and read Ultra Marathon Man. And we're going to talk about that a bit in this conversation, kind of that juxtaposition. But one of the things that I just wanted to ask you about is like, you've kind of strung together multiple decades of this different sort of torture. And I think one of my first questions is like, how are you feeling these days and sort of holding up, right? Like we read about the severe suffering and some people experience that severe suffering. You know, I I have yet to join the ranks of the ultra runners. How are you holding up and feeling having subjected yourself to this different form of torture more than a whole lot of folks have? <laughs> it, it certainly isn't getting any easier. <laughs> you know, I talk about, you know, the aging process and, um, you know, I also talk about, you know, embracing the suck Yeah. because every race to me these days just seems very tough. And I, you know, before when I used to be able to like, like finish some races and feel kind of fresh, you know, kind of waltz through it and think, wow, that was, that was not so bad. It seems like every race I'm doing these days, I get to the finish line. I'm just like, oh, that was, that was intense. And, you know, that, that was crushing. Um, so, you know, what, what am I doing in response? I mean, I'm, I'm training twice as hard to go half as fast. <laughs> you know, I'm doing a lot of um, strength training and overall, um, you know, muscle building. But, you know, the thing I've learned, and I think there's a quote in my new book is, you know, how do you develop endurance? Well, you know, endurance comes from enduring. So, you know, you learn to endure and you learn that, you know, you can feel as this crappy and still keep going and still get to that finish line. So, you know, through experience, I've learned that, you know, as bad as things seem, you can you can still keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and moving forward. Definitely. But I think I want to push you on a slightly different way to potentially answer this question. I don't know if it's the case that things like longevity studies and the topic of longevity is more in the news now than it used to be, or if, if it's just somehow coming on to my radar in what seems like kind of in more of an all of a sudden way. But, you know, there are people like David Sinclair, who has done a lot in the area of longevity studies, Matthew Walker with the work he's doing on sleep, right? These things are kind of very much in the water these days. So while I grant everything you just said about if you want to get good at endurance, you better get good at enduring, I'm curious how you are viewing these things in terms of longevity. And if that's something you care deeply about, if you don't really care about that, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, it's funny. uh, My mother comes from uh, one of the blue zones. So I'm not sure if you've heard of the blue zones, but there are seven um, areas across the world where the indigenous population lives the longest. 
And one of those is an island in Greece called Ikaria. Um, it's where Icarus, the, the, the boy with the wax wings, supposedly mm-hmm. crashed. And it, Ikaria has the highest concentration of centenarians anywhere on earth. So these are people that live to be, uh, you know, a hundred or, or more. And I've been going to this island and, you know, talking with these folks that are, you know, 103, 104, 105. And they're amazing. I mean, they're, you know, they're out there gardening every day. They're walking every day, you know, six, seven, eight miles. Uh, they're cognitively very present. And so, you know, this island of Ikaria, they say, is a, is a place where people forget to die. Mm. So I've always kind of thought I had longevity in my blood. Hopefully I do. <laughs> but it's it's a topic I think about all the time. Mm. And you, you, I look at some of these people that, you know, are practicing longevity and we're about the same age. I mean, I, I, I hate to date myself, but I'm getting closer to 60 than 50. And, you know, when when I look at them compared to myself, uh, you know, I'm in I'm in. I would appear physically much younger. And I think if you looked at a lot of the biomarkers, I I would also be much younger. So it's something I take seriously, but it's also something I think there's a a lot to be discovered because, uh, you know, I've consistently had my entire life very low uh, iron levels. Hmm. So like a state of anemia. And now they're saying, well, maybe that's not such a bad thing, that there could be certain cardiovascular protections with that. So I think there's a lot to be learned still with longevity. And, you know, certainly when you have people, you know, like the the co-founder of Google, you know, pouring lots of money into research, you know, saying that in our lifetime, we're going to see people living to be 200. Uh, I think that, you know, we're going to crack the code at a point. Um, I, I think at that point, we're going to turn our attention to, is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah. Do we really want to live to 200? And, you know, what, how much of us is going to be completely falling apart when we reach that milestone. But um, I think about longevity a lot, but more so in the context of, of being a runner. You know, I, I want to run marathons when I'm in my 80s and 90s, and I think that's possible. And I've certainly seen a lot of people in their, in their 80s um, at the finish of marathons, and it's amazing to me. Maybe if, if I need to frame this or like why I'm curious about this, you mentioned Michael Strahan, right? NFL players go play in the NFL and most of them come out pretty wrecked, right? Like degrees of wrecked. And in sort of the worst cases of that, we you know know more and more about CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and others just, they can't walk well or they have massive back issues. And I guess as somebody who has kind of made a career of really suffering how much you wonder or worry about the kind of stress that you have, well, inflicted upon yourself. And if you kind of see that as, I mean, I believe in stressing the system and actually see that as something that could have a very positive outcome on longevity, or if you're like, I don't know, I don't care. I don't think whoever lives the most number of days on the planet wins. I I do wonder about this a bit, just as we have, you know, again, you have run more ultras than many people out there. These days, we are seeing younger and younger people getting into this, these kinds of distances. And I don't know the answer to like, is this actually a positive development? If we're interested first and foremost in the question of just living to a hundred or 200 or, and if it matters. 
It's a it's a really good question, and you know I certainly don't have the answers. I I do know that you know I, I for my age I'm in pretty good shape. I mean yeah. I have you know body fat under five percent. You know I have a really <laughs> high strength to weight ratio. You know my resting heart rate's under forty. I have very low blood pressure. Uh, I don't suffer any sort of inflammation issues. You know yeah. no no knee issues, nothing like that. Uh, which Maybe I'm just lucky, uh, or maybe it is a result of of all the running I do. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I, I do sometimes worry about some of the things I've done. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I, I remember, you know, I was sponsored by the North Face, and and they one of their first trail running shoes was called the Kuna Crest, and it was codenamed the Kuna Crippler because it was like running in a wooden clog. And I remember running, and this is a trail shoe. I remember running a, a 200 mile uh, road race in the Kuna Crippler, <laughs> and you know, thinking there's there's just no cushioning in the shoe whatsoever. Um, you know, did did that you do long term damage? I I don't know, but um, I do think I do think about these things, and I do worry about it. And uh, you, but but then again, I look at you know, it, I'm very conflicted on the topic. Because I, I wonder if I didn't do these things, would I be worse off than, than I am now? Right, right. And I, I think that's a, a fair question. Thank you for letting me kind of push you on those things. But I can't imagine anybody listening to this conversation would say like, no, we should all just sit in our homes and try to not eat junk food and hopefully we eke out 105 years. You know, it's like... I. I you know, what's the Hunter S. Thompson quote, right? Like we should tax our bodies and, you know, put them through hell and have a great time and learn a lot along the way. That was a really bad paraphrase. Sorry, Hunter S. Thompson. But um, it seems to me you're a bit more on that program and find that to be perhaps that kind of approach to be more of a mark of a life well lived. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, you know, I, it's funny. (laughs) boarding the flight coming home from Australia, you know, I was, I was, it was a bit of a reflective moment. And I thought, you know, if, if this flight goes down, I'd be satisfied. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've lived a really great fulfilling life and I don't have many regrets. If, if it ended today, uh, so be it. And I don't know if there's a lot of people that can say that. I view that as a really key metric, right. For like how to think about the life you've been living or the path you're on. And yeah, like I, instead of the plane, the very real plane you were on, I always have this like metaphorical bus. Like if I get hit by a bus today in those waning minutes, could you say like, I'm, I'm good with, with sort of what I've done and and how I've lived. And I think that's a better metric than like, I sure as hell hope I make it to 150 years old. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 quality, not quantity. Yep. I, I agree with that completely. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about these books you've written and sort of how you approach writing. But before we do that, I want to learn a bit more about you as a reader because your books are peppered with references and quotes from different authors and. Um, I'd just love to hear about this, um, how important reading is to you these days if you used to have or used to make a lot more time for reading back in the day than you're able to now. Like, Let's talk a bit about reading. 
Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a really good place to start. Uh, you know, I'm 100% Greek and, you know, the Greeks were great storytellers, starting with Homer. And I remember at six years old uh, in Greek school, we had to read uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I mean, those are extremely powerful books. If you haven't read, you know, Homer, I, I encourage you to. I mean, it's it's the basis of storytelling and it's really good storytelling and it's really well written. I mean, most of it is. And I was just I was just intrigued with the way a story is composed and how you know, Homer was able to just keep us on the edge of our seat as you're as you're turning the pages. So that that was kind of the the beginning of my my lust for reading, and and it just grew from there. I mean, I used to have a book with me everywhere I went. Um, more recently, uh, we spoke about this a bit before the interview. You know, I listened to a lot of audiobooks. I have over five hundred audiobooks on my playlist because you know, like like many, I'm spending a lot of time training and running uh, and working out and I listen to books while I'm doing this. So that's a, it's a great way. And, you know, people say, well, you know, that, that's not traditional. That's not the, the way to, you know, to consume a traditional book. But I would argue with that, that, you know, books originally were verbal stories. That's I mean, right. that's, yeah. So it, I mean, it's just starting with the Greeks. Yep. So it's not a bad way at all. I mean, it's a very different experience. I think you'd agree listening yeah. to a book versus reading it. And I enjoy both. So uh, I, I read a whole heck of a lot and a variety of different topics, and I'm always looking for recommendations. So I think, you know, people say, well, how to become a good uh, writer? And I say, well, become a good reader. That's the, that's the you know, the foundation of being a good writer. For sure. Totally agree with all of that. And I always think about that, um, this like, you know, sitting there with a physical book, reading it versus listening to it. And I... I definitely do. Sometimes I, I feel a little bit personally conflicted about audiobooks. And I that's the thing I always remind myself is like those Homeric epics, those were those were listened to full stop long before they were, you know, physical manuscripts that a person was sitting there in silence reading, you know, to to him or herself. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, even the the writings by Aeschylus were, you know, delivered. Uh, they were verbal. And yep. later captured, you know, by even Socrates. I mean, it was that was all verbal, and you know, Plato paraphrased Socrates. Yep. Wow. So this really did. I mean, the reading life for you, this didn't happen in your adult years. This was as a young kid. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, storytelling has always been the 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 basis of how we communicate, and I think I, I realized that very early on. And you know, certainly the people I was surrounded with were were very good uh, orators. They were very good storytellers. So I, I just took an interest in, you know, how to tell an interesting story. And uh, yeah, it's been an interest of, a lifelong interest of mine. Yeah. Well, you've already mentioned Homer as really leaving a mark on you. That's a, uh, you're in, you're in good company there. I'd also be interested in hearing, like, do you kind of have your top say three or five authors that over the course of your life have just sort of meant the most to you or is it maybe not quite as clear as all that singling out three or four or five folks i mean i could i could certainly say that you know uh, steinbach uh, tennessee williams uh even hemingway influenced me in a in a big sort of way Hmm. But I think those were the, the younger version of myself that that was drawn to those books. 
Uh, I think as I've gotten older, um, I've turned to books that are uh, a bit more, mm, you know, some of them are prescriptional, you know, how to live a better life, those sort of things, hmm. but also more um, business-minded books, more more practical books. Mm-hmm. But I've certainly been influenced by specific writers and specific writing. So I read a lot of books about uh, writing itself and looking at various passages and how they're composed. I mean, you know, what what is writing? Well, it comes down to, you know, crafting a, a sentence. And sometimes a sentence, uh, one word in a sentence can make a big difference. So, you know, writing is to me 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Uh, kind of like running, <laughs> you know, so, so much of it is just based on, uh, you know, rewriting and rereading what you're writing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite or one or two favorite books on writing? Uh, I'm reading one right now. I cannot remember the name of the author, but it's, um, how to write stunning sentences. Huh. And, and that's a good one. Um, she's, the author is a uh, she's a local uh, Marin um, professor at one of the the community colleges in the area, and it's a really good book. That's really cool. I mean, as somebody who's published multiple books and many essays and that kind of a thing, you're still you're still homing the craft. Oh, I've got a long way to go, brother. <laughs> and I mean, I, I have to be honest. I mean, you know, the 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 running book genre. It, you know, I think it's been tarnished a bit because there's just so much crap out there, including my own. I've got to say that I, I read some of my older books and I cringe at at the writing and, you know, the use of cliches and things I would just never do today. But um, people are often surprised when they, they pick up my, you know, like my most recent book and they say, wow, it was really well written. And I, you know, the, the, the subcontext there is that I expected it to suck. And it didn't suck, <laughs> like most every other running book. So, uh, you know, the, a runner's high um, has gotten some critical acclaim by, like, actual critics. I mean, it's been it's been analyzed and and um, you know reviewed by by actual literary critics, and it's gotten good marks. It's held up, and that makes me really proud. <laughs> this is a great theme. And by the way, I think I think any writer or filmmaker very much could relate to the experience of like going back and looking at earlier work and maybe wincing or even cringing a little bit, right? I mean, but that's part of the evolution. Like as we get better at this stuff, if we if we were going back and we're like, oh man, the early work of mine was amazing. <laughs> what happened? Uh, that's That's sort of the opposite of growth and getting better at particular craft, I think. It sounds like if that's true of when you go back and look at some of the other stuff, I think you're in good company there on that one. Yeah, that's a good point. And I agree with that. Uh, you know, and you know, the thing with with my five books, they've all been memoirs. So I've become something of a memoirist. And, yeah. you know, the difference between a memoir and a, and a biography is that or an autobiography is, you know, a biography or autobiography is is someone's entire life, where yeah. a memoir is just a snaps, snapshot of time of someone's life. So, you know, for me to keep keep it interesting and, and keep, you know, rifting on that theme of a memoir has been challenging because I don't have the, you know, the creative leeway of, of fiction. Uh, so I have to try to, you know, somehow make my life interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and make and make the book propulsive, so that you know. I, I like to say, if I don't, if I don't have the reader in the first sentence, I failed. 
I mean, you've got to be hooked in the first sentence because there's so many things tugging at our attention these days that, you know, if, if you're not, you know, turning the pages and I've lost you. Well, since we're, you know, on this topic, I guess, and again, as I, I told you, I've just, I've just had this experience of going back and reading your first book and then your most recent book. And if it doesn't feel too weird or artificial, I'd love to hear you talk about how you think of those two books sort of either independently or kind of working together. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I, you know, I, I think that um, A Runner's High, my most recent book, is somewhat of a, a sequel to Ultra Marathon Man. Um, Ultra Marathon Man was a coming of age book where I learned about, you know, this, this crazy world of ultra marathoning and, you know, and got into it and kind of my early experiences where uh, A Runner's High is, okay, you know, two and a half decades later, uh, you know, you're still doing these things and you're still loving it. How, how is that possible? Um, you know, how have you changed? How has, how has the sport itself changed? I mean, the, the sport of ultramarathoning has grown immensely. So I discussed that as well. Uh, you know, how has your family changed? How has the relationships in your life changed? Um, all of those sort of things. Uh, but, you know, th- that almost sounds droll when I, you know, as, as we're talking here. I mean, crafting that into a storyline that, you know, that keeps people uh, engaged is, is the real challenge. I don't think it sounds droll. Uh, again, as somebody who's literally just had the experience, I just didn't want to say it before you did. I didn't want to like put words in your mouth. But I, I think that idea that a runner's high feels and functions very much as kind of a sequel to Ultra Marathon Man. I think that I think that seems quite right. And um, God, it's so funny for me going back to Ultra Marathon Man, where you're like hey, there's this super weird event called Western States and there's these zany people doing this weird stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, Western States now feels, I don't know, so commonplace. It it was so interesting to say like, or to go back and be like, this isn't that long ago that, you know, that Dean wrote this book. It was a stark kind of reminder to me just how much the ultra world has kind of grown up and evolved and kind of arisen in popularity, both in the number of people participating in them and in kind of the, I think, more the mainstream consciousness. Yeah. I mean, ultra marathoning has entered the the mainstream lexicon. Yeah. I mean, uh, if <laughs> this is going to sound, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like I'm pounding my own chest or self-promoting, but I mean, 10 minutes before we got on this interview, uh, I got a Google alert that I was, I, the Wall Street Journal just did a feature on me. And I'm like, <laughs> you'd never hear about an ultra marathoner being featured in the Wall Street Journal, you know, in bygone days, but it's it's become commonplace these days. Pinging back to Ultra Marathon Man for a minute, the number of people who have, you know, come up to you and have personally talked about how that put how that book changed their life. I don't know. You touch on this in A Runner's High. It it's kind of becomes a funny thing because it sort of happens again and again. And you never really go into how that makes you feel or what that's like. But I do think that is an experience that not so many people, well, have had. And so I'd, I'd be curious in just asking or hearing you talk about what what does that mean? What does that feel like to you? 
when that happens, to have so many people, you know, find you and want to say, hey, man, like this thing you wrote really put me on a different trajectory. I mean, it's it's something that no one ever trained you on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no, no one gives you advice on how to handle things like that. I take it all very personally. And, I'm, uh, you know, I, I feel a certain responsibility to those individuals. I don't know why, but I never get tired of it. I never, I never feel like it's trite. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I almost feel like uh, I'm unworthy in a lot of ways, but I feel very great. You know, I feel a, a tremendous amount of gratitude that people come up to me and say, Hey, that, you know, that book changed my life. And, uh, you know, as you can tell, I, I still am trying to wrap my head around it mm. after all these years. And I mean, I have, you know, I have thousands, I have tens of thousands of messages. I mean, I have, I have, I, I save every letter. I, people write me handwritten letters. When was the last time you've written someone, you know, right. a handwritten letter saying, and a lot of them, this, the first sentence is like, hey, man, you changed my life. And I, I don't take those things lightly. I just think it's, it's a great honor and it's a great responsibility. And it's something I've never really gotten used to um, because I just see myself as a runner, just like every other runner. And, you know, like I, I talk about coming into some aid stations at Western States and people are, you know, they want to take selfies with me <laughs> and, they, yeah. and people bring books, you know, to aid stations to have me sign a book along the way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's endearing. It's, um, you know, it's so many things at once it, you know, it's, some people are cringe at it and like, Oh, you know, what's so great about that guy? And, you know, the person next to him, uh, you know, th thinks that, you know, I've, I've, really had a huge impact on their life. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a strange reality I live mm -hmm. in and it's hard to talk about it because until you've, you've, until you've lived in that reality, you can't really relate to it. And I'm sure people listening to this are like, oh, come on, man. So what? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's a funny reality mm -hmm. to live in. And, uh, I, you know, it's nothing I, I planned for. And like I said, it's nothing anyone, you know, there's no, there's no class you can go to, to kind of deal with something like that, you know, to, to explain to you, you know, how, how do you respond to someone when they say, man, you, you, you know, you really helped me out of a dark period. You just kind of learn it as you go. One of the things I'll, I'll say is, first of all, I think the books really convey the sense that like, man, I'm, I'm just a runner first and foremost. And so um, I think someone would have to be doing something disingenuous to kind of take away from what you're reporting on in these books, like the, oh, come on, man, stop, stop trying to like, you know, pump yourself up or something like that. And one example I'll cite, in a runner's high, the report about your visit to the White House and, you know, meeting Michelle Obama and meeting Bo, I, I was just kind of laughing through the whole thing because it really felt like a report from somebody who it was like, this is so strange and weird and this is what it's like. I didn't feel like there was any sense of like, hey, look at me, look at what I did. It's like if I had a really weird, strange, kind of surreal event and just was like, guys, guys, this thing just happened and it was, it was really interesting and cool and surreal and I just want to share with you like what happened and what it was like. So to me... That, I think, kind of underscores what you've just said about like, man, I'm just trying to report some weird stuff that's happened in my life and in some cases that I've been fortunate to experience. But I think there's also a mark of good writing there to be able to convey that in the sense of like, I just had this really weird experience happen 
and let me let me try to share share that experience. <laughs> I think you captured it perfectly. I mean, people, you know, people hear, wow, you, you, you know, you went to the White House and visited Michelle Obama. What was that like? And, you know, what do you say? Oh, it was, it was really, it was a cool experience. But I, I wanted to like really tell it like, he, he, okay, here's what really <laughs> happened. And here's how I felt as it was all happening. Like it was, it was insanely crazy. And, you know, the, and I, and I, I think I just wrote that chapter, honestly, like, hmm. That was weird. I mean, that was weird. It was beautiful. It was confusing. It was all of those things and, and overwhelming. And yeah, and <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that chapter. I really did. And I think if you just think about, you know, if we're, we're, if we're okay to say there's like this community of running or the community of runners, I like that idea where different members of community of, of the community can kind of just be reporting back sort of, you know, to the rest of us. I, I think it's a great tone. I feel like it did really bring the community in with you to that. And, you know, you've said there's a lot of like, not so great writing about running out there. I guess maybe I would be, I haven't thought about this till right now, but if more writing about running kind of functioned like that, sort of reporting back to the community about various perspectives or, you know, experiences I'd probably actually be a big fan of that. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but I'm I'm trying this out in real time here. No, I think it's it's interesting to get into the reality of someone else, right? Hmm. I mean, we you know we we don't I don't know how what thoughts go through your mind as you're you know going through the course of a day, and I don't know what interesting things happen to you, but uh, I'd really like to hear you explain something interesting that happened to you because it's fascinating to us. Uh, and I just I I think that that's why uh, that chapter works is it's it, it's an interesting occurrence, and I I tell it in a way that was my reality. I mean, someone else, you know, could have run in there. David Goggins could have run into the White House and had a very different telling yeah. of the story and yeah. a very different reality. But you know, you're getting my reality, and it is what it is. Yep. Yeah. Well put. Before I move us on, and I love this. I love this conversation about reading and writing. Is there anything else about sort of the writing process that you have just found yourself thinking about or that has clearly evolved for you? Is there anything else just about this whole endeavor that you think would be interesting to kind of share with us or again, that you find yourself maybe more curious about these days than in the past or something like that? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you when you write something, you're never quite sure how it'll be interpreted. Hmm. And I mean, I'll, I'll use Ultra Marathon Man for an example. You know, the, I start the book by talking about ordering a pizza while I was out <laughs> on a run. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, it just seemed like the logical thing to do. Yeah, I'm running a 200-mile race. I've got no crew around. I'm out in the middle of nowhere, but I got a credit card and a cell phone. Well, order a pizza. Duh. <laughs> so I ordered a pizza. <laughs> And it just, you know, that that, that particular uh, event or episode has like struck a chord with so many people. And <laughs> it, it's, it's the funniest thing, no matter where I go, like if I go to Portugal, <laughs> you know, if I go to Australia and I'm doing like a, a 5K fun run, inevitably we'll come around a corner and there'll be a pizza delivery guy there <laughs> like, hey, who ordered the pizza? So it's like a it's like a running gag now. Everywhere yeah. I go and I do a run with people, someone orders a pizza, and it, <laughs> and I I just think it's funny as hell. That's great. I guess that's either like 
a cautionary tale, be careful what you write, (laughs) or it's the best thing you've ever written because you just get access to pizza as often as you want when running. So, this is like a manifestation thing. If you write it, right? If you write it, it'll happen. You get a lot of free food. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One thing I wanted to also ask you about, um, another thing I wanted to ask you about in the conclusion to A Runner's High, um, there's a sentence here and I want to just focus on a portion of it, but you write, we are not the sum of our achievements. And if anybody wants to know how the rest of that sentence plays out, uh, it actually is, we are not the sum of our achievements but an ongoing story that continues to be told with each day, with each step. I want to focus on the first part of that sentence. We are not the sum of our achievements. And I'm curious to know how long you've believed that. You know, like, was that a lesson or a realization or whatever the right word is that you have sort of learned over time? Or is that actually something that feels like you internalized a very long time ago. No, it was, it was a realization I had, I think, more recently. And, you know, I was reflecting back on, you know, the most meaningful moments of my life. Like, you know, what what really has stuck with me and what was the most, you know, precious moments uh, in, in, in my years. And I thought, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all of these awards you've received or any of these accolades. I mean, I think back of, of a time when, I was camping with my kids and these these deer approached us and we had some cookies, a bunch of cookies. And I, I was going to throw them a cookie. And my son, who was like, I think all of four years old, he's like, yes, yes, but don't give them the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and I look back on that and I think that was just a, a, the most meaningful, priceless moment that I would like to take with me to the grave. It, it, it's those sort of things. It's the little things um, that, that really are uh, define who you are. Again, assuming you are just reporting your experience, I think that's saying something, right? Like, frankly, for those of us who haven't won a bunch of races, it might be more of a convenient and nice kind of thought, right? That, yeah, yeah, we're not the sum of our achievements. But I think for those folks who have accomplished a lot in a given field, you know what I mean? Like to, to hear that statement coming from certain folks, it, it really got me thinking actually about like, how do I view this, you know, trajectory I'm on and like actually how important are some of my achievements, right? Like some of them, some of the things I've done, I'm very proud of. Like what percentage though, do I think that takes up of how I actually think about my life and on what percentage sort of should it take up if we're trying to think about a life well lived? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you know, as you get older, you start to reflect more and, um, you, you know, the, the thing I, I never want to do though, is, is kind of live, you know, live those bygone years, just kind of get stuck there. And, and never move on to, you know, new experiences and, and growing every day and continuing to see the world, you know, through the, through the eyes of a child. I know that's cliche, but still, you know, seeing the world as a, as a fresh ex- place to explore. And I think that, you know, some people get kind of caught up in the, you know, in their achievements and the things they've accomplished. And, you know, they don't move beyond that. And I think that that, that, that is, is 
maybe no fault of their own. It's it's probably easy to do because at a point, you know, you 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 know, you can only get. <laughs> I, I guess not a lot of people keep getting better, and that's kind of the 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 path I want to follow is continuing to to improve in every element of my life. Huh. Okay. So let's go down that road. Like, what does that mean, or what does that look like for you to quote unquote? continue to improve in every element of your life? You know, that's to me is continuing to explore and uh, continuing to try new things, to not be afraid, uh, to fail, to fail boldly, to laugh at your failures, to laugh at yourself, uh, but always trying new things and never just reverting back to, you know, the things you know. I, you know, I I think that it's pretty well known that, you know, most of us, um, you know, we, we learn how to live until we're 30, and then we just apply those lessons to living from that point forward. So, you know, unlearning some of those lessons from the past is is not easy. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, trying new things and, 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 you know, putting yourself in awkward positions is a, certainly a good way to do it. Yeah, totally agree. And by the way, when we were talking at the top of this conversation about longevity, everything that I have kind of read on that topic is like, you've got to keep things novel, right? You've got to, to use your word, you've got to keep exploring. We've all got to keep learning. Like if we become stagnant, either in terms of say, you know, if if we're like, yeah, I'm kind of done learning now, which usually to me kind of is somewhat analogous to saying like, I'm kind of done reading now. That's, um, that's like a step toward like ossification, uh, which is maybe to say a step toward death. So I, I think that sounds real correct what you're saying. Like keep exploring, keep learning, put yourself in awkward positions. That seems like really, really good advice for how to like navigate every single, you know, next month or next year we get on this planet. I, and I agree. And I think, you know, for me, endurance sports continues to teach me about myself. I, you know, I think there's a quote in my, in my book, you know, to know thyself, we must push thyself. Yeah. You know, the, the Oracle at Delphi said, know thyself um, yeah. as, as the foundation of being. But how do, how do you know yourself if you're in your comfort zone? You don't. I mean, how you learn about yourself is when, you know, you're, you're put into new and awkward and challenging situations and you see how you respond to those. And I've certainly, I mean, even this trip to Australia, um, you know, I've learned that, uh, you know, <laughs> I've taken groveling to a, an unprecedented height <laughs> that, I, that I'm able to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do and, and somehow pull it off. Huh. <laughs> Before I let you go, and I'll say we are recording this conversation on the 1st of September, 2021. Um, I'd be curious to hear you talk more specifically about some of this new stuff, right? You know, we've talked kind of broadly about like, yeah, yeah, you know, keep challenging yourself, pushing yourself, exploring. So I'd love to know, like at this point in time, what are you currently most interested in? And maybe that means spending most of your time thinking about or, or a lot of your time working on. And that could be related to running or outside of the world of running. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to the, I, you know, the concept of never stop learning, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting a classics degree. So I'm uh, enrolled in a, 
uh, classics program at Villanova University. And, You're kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> when did you start doing this? Uh, I'm in my two and, a, two and a half years in, and I'm on the five-year program. I'm, you know, I'm taking one or two courses uh, a semester, but I started a couple of years ago. That's amazing. And, I love that. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, my, my Greek language skills are not as good as I would hope they would be. So uh, next week I'm heading to Greece uh, huh. for uh, five weeks and I've instructed the people I'm staying with to not speak to me in English. The problem with the Greeks is that they, you know, when, when I struggle, they just divert to English. And I said, you're not speaking English to me the whole time. <laughs> so it's going to be a, you know, uh, baptism by fire, but I'm going to improve in the next five weeks to my Greek language skills. Well, that's amazing. I mean, how how is your modern Greek versus, say, your reading of classic Greek? And and I mean, are you getting pretty specific about like Attic Greek versus Koine Greek? Like, what are what are you actually studying, or what have you been studying? Yeah, I mean, they're classic. They're Typical classics uh, stories, I mean, uh, courses. So uh, I just had um, Sexuality in Ancient Greece, huh. which was a really interesting, uh, <laughs> really interesting class. And, um, you know, I've, I my Greek gets better with Uzo, and so does my Greek dancing. <laughs> so I keep Uzo handy. But, um, you, you know, starting with Linear B, I mean, I'm very interested in the, uh, you know, the, the evolution of language and of words. So th this course has been amazing. And um, it, the program itself is is uh, is a really great program. And, and thankfully, you know, with the pandemic, I've been able to keep it up because it's all uh, it's all online. That's fantastic. I love it. So you're two and a half years in and you're on the five year program that did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So maybe your next book will actually be written in Koine or Attic Greek. Is that is that what you're is that what you're telling us? It'd be in hieroglyphs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Linear B. Yeah. Well, Dean, this really has just been a pleasure. It's so fun to to talk about reading and writing and and about your new book and what you just were doing in Australia. This has been really fun to connect. You know, I know again for for those people for whom you have had a direct impact on their life. You know, I just like to say thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're still doing, and uh, I would love to connect again down the line. I think next time we'll order some pizza and go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that sounds pretty good, Dean. Um, hey, thanks again. And uh, yeah, look forward to the next time and enjoy this trip of yours to Greece. Thank you, brother. You be well. All right. Take care. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Dean for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again later this week over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, our Gear 30 podcast, and then again here next Tuesday back on Off the Couch. Take care, everybody.